Let's read something of this great God that we have in the Scriptures. We read from Exodus chapter 3. The appearance of God through the flame of the fire to Moses at the burning bush. Exodus 3 and verse 1. Now Jephro, I'm sorry, now Moses was tending the flock of Jephro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. But when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. He said, here I am. And he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of, the land, out of Egypt. Amen. The Lord bless his word. Come to the Lord in prayer, let's pray. Well, God, we thank you for your wonderful word. Lord, it is a light under our path, a light under our way. Lord, it leads us to you. Lord, we thank you too. It is a living and breathing word. God has breathed it into being. We believe that God speaks livingly through it tonight. Lord, we may not be at a burning bush, but we are just as really in the presence of God. For the heavens cannot contain you. And you have chosen that wherever we go, you will be there. Lord, there is not a place on earth where we might flee from your presence. Not even in the deepest place of hell could your child hide from you. But Lord, you reveal yourself. So Lord, as we have chosen to come by the guiding of your will, we pray, O oh Lord, you would be pleased to speak to us. Lord, in living echoes, may we hear your voice as clearly as Moses did that day at the burning bush. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We concluded last time at the section that said that Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. He was scared. And rightly so. For the angel of the Lord had appeared to him. 
As Moses bowed down before the bush from which God addressed him, he was afraid to look up. He was afraid in case he should look upon God. Moses was probably already had in his mind as well this thought. Why has God appeared to me? First and foremost, that question would probably relate to, what have I done? Why should God come and reveal himself to me? What sin have I committed? It's not what goodness have I done that he feels in the presence of God. It's how awful I am. For I am on holy ground. And yet God had another purpose than that of condemning Moses for the sin that he obviously had in his life, the same as any of us face with God would feel. He had something to reveal to Moses. God revealed his purpose to Moses. It was not a secret purpose. It was already known. But this was a personal revelation to Moses himself. Personal revelation, of course, continues to be an awesome experience. And that's not in the terms of what they say awesome is today. But an awesome experience. The awe that God should speak to any individual that I should handle the Word of God and I should feel and know that God is speaking to me is an awesome thing from which questions may arise as to why God would choose to reveal Himself to us. Through God's communication here to Moses, we can hear the same purpose, the purpose of God which He reveals to us. First, it's the determined purpose of God as we read this passage. God is going to do something. He is determined to carry it out. And secondly, it is God's considered purpose. We read this in the light of Christ's coming into the world. So God's determined purpose. So I have come down to deliver them. First thing that Moses became aware of, as well as the holiness of God, is he bowed his face to the ground and sought to hide his eyes from looking upon God, was that God was aware The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. That's in verse 7. God had seen the oppression. He had seen the restrictions on his people. They had moved into the land of Goshen many years earlier, hundreds of years earlier, just 70 people. And now they were a people confined to that area of land, which when they arrived was a vast area to 70 people, but now was a constricting prison to them. They were restricted in their growth. They couldn't spread wherever they wanted, but also in having children, we have found that they have already been restricted in their male, the male children born to them were asked by the previous Pharaoh that they might be killed. He was commanded, not asked, sorry. And they could not leave the land and go to other places. They were oppressed. And God saw this oppression. God heard the cry of his people. The people had cried when another pharaoh had failed to respond to the, with compassion to their plight. They may have hoped that when this pharaoh who did not know Joseph had passed, that he, a next one would look upon them at least as human beings. 
and have a, a, a thought of compassion towards their suffering and their cries, but it didn't happen. So it happened in the process of time when the first Pharaoh died that the king of Israel groaned because of their bondage. They cried out and their cry came up to God because of that bondage. Read in that passage too that God recognized that cry. This wasn't like the cries of the other people in the world. He recognized this cry as the cry of his own children. So God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. He recognized the cry of these people. God knew their sorrows. In the 80 years of Moses' life, God had received many of the Israelites' male children when they had been killed just following their birth along with many people who had died in captivity under the burdens of the Egyptians. He had experienced the cries of mothers and fathers as they watched their sons murdered before their eyes, along with the grief of children burying their parents while they were in their captivity and bondage in Egypt. He saw and felt their pain. God knew their sorrows. He bore their burdens as they prayed to him. He poured oil into their wounds to comfort them. For he comforted them in their sorrows as they continued to cry to God, believing that he would see their oppression, hear their cries, and know their sorrows. God was aware. The second thing that God tells Moses, he makes him aware of his agenda. God has an agenda. It's in verse 8. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land. This is a tremendous statement. God had come down. Not since the days of Adam and Enoch had God entered the world in such a way, it seems, although he visited also Abraham. But this is different. This is not a matter that God speaks of that he is content to deal with from heaven. But he had come down to personally act for his people. He had come down to deliver them. He had come to deliver the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, out of the hand of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and he had come to do it himself. It would be a personal demonstration of his deliverance. And God had come not only to bring them out but to de- and to deliver them, but to come to bring them up, we read in the passage, for God had prepared a land for them, a good and a large land, a land presently dwelt in by others who had no thought of God, who were indifferent to the sufferings of God's children. See, the land of Canaan, this land with the Hittites and the Jebusites and all the otherites, was a land that was not unfamiliar with God. In the days of Abraham, he had walked for its length and its breadth. He had lived amongst them as one different and distinct from themselves who walked with God. God made promises to him. God used Abraham to deliver some of those people out of the hands of their enemies. 
In the lives of Isaac and Jacob, they were blessed with the presence of these individuals, for God was with them. But the people gave no thought unto God. And for the hundreds of years that the children of Israel were held captive in Egypt, not one of these nations moved their hand in regard to the children of Israel, even though they knew the God of Abraham. Nor had they turned themselves from any of their sins. Historians, those are able to tell us of what occurred in these lands, tell us of great wickedness. So when you read that God is going to bring the children of Israel up out of Egypt and bring them into this land, do not think for any moment that God is doing this without any thought or consideration of the Canaanites. He has spoken and revealed himself to them. But God is going to bring his people up. And the third thing that Moses learned from God here and God's determined purpose was that God had an ambassador and God was speaking to him. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. In these words, God received, uh, Moses received God's commission. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh. God had a purpose for Moses' life, and it wasn't retirement. Uh, king Charles might think that he's come late to the role of being king. Moses was 80 years of age nearly at this stage. He probably had ideas of putting his feet up in a few years' time, maybe, and others looking after the sheep instead of him wandering the backside of a desert. But God had other plans for Moses' life. He had a commission for Moses to fulfill. Further, Moses would go with God's authority. I will send you to Pharaoh. You will go with my authority to stand before Pharaoh as my representative. You will do what kings do in sending forth their ambassadors to other nations and people. You will go forth for me. And Moses would carry out God's responsibility. God gave Moses the visible responsibility of bringing God's people out of Egypt. Moses was powerless to fulfill that responsibility without God. God would do it by his mighty hand. He had come down to do this very action, but the people would see Moses. and they would, He would be the ambassador of God before them. He would be, as God, as, he, as God says later on, as God to them. Pharaoh would see him as the such. This was God's determined purpose, and nothing was going to change it. God was aware of everything happening in Egypt. God knew exactly what he was going to do. He had his agenda and it was going to be carried out. And Moses was going to be God's ambassador. And that was why the bush had a flame of fire in the midst of it. And God was talking to Moses. Which brings us then to God's considered purpose. So I have come down to deliver them, said God. Those words alone should be, be enough to tell you where we're going with this passage. God is aware still of everything. The Lord said to Moses, he had seen the oppression of his people in Egypt. He'd heard their cry because of their taskmasters. He knew their sorrows. It should not surprise us that God knows these things. After all, we are made in the image of God. 
How many senses you have, I did not Google it. But you have a few, don't you? You possess sight. Even if you can't see with your eyes, you know what it is to imagine the world around you, to consider what is around, so you have sight. You have hearing. Even if you cannot hear with your ears, you use uh, technology or moving of hands, not mine, because you won't read what anything means by those, only that I am enthusiastic about what I'm saying. Uh, You will hear. You hear, take in what is being communicated. Touch. You touch, you feel, you experience the world by touching it and handling. You taste. You taste the flavors and fragrance, the fragrance of things that you are taking in. And then there is smell. It's one fact I remember out of the Holiday Bible Club recently. You smell a trillion different smells you are capable of smelling in your nose. What an amazing fact of your makeup. If God has made us in his image and we possess these abilities to comprehend the world around us, it should be no surprise to us that God who made us in his image should know everything. For God is not like us limited to a geographic position this evening. God is everywhere. His eyes are everywhere. As we speak of him in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ entering this world, his son, we hear that Jesus did not need anyone to speak of him about anyone else's life, for he knew them all together. God is aware of everything. Therefore, God sees tonight, as he did in the days of Moses, all oppression. God sees the restrictions on his people's life. He sees restricted growth of the church in Iran. There are people in Iran who can become Christians, you know. The Armenians can become Christians because they're historically considered to be a Christian people. So in Iran, they're allowed to become Christians. But if you're a Muslim and you want to become a Christian, you better prepare to die because that's about your option. God sees the restriction. God sees the restriction on Christians in Egypt. It's not as bad as it was. But there is the Coptic church in Egypt has been restricted to one part of Egypt's capital. Within the midst of that capital, all the rubbish of Egypt has been dumped. And the people of Egypt, those people have lived, those Coptic Christians have lived with the rubbish of Egypt. God sees it. He sees the wandering, like the Christians in Pakistan. Many have to wander from place to place because if they dare to settle in a place which is majority Muslim, they will be killed. He sees the poverty of those in places like Malawi and Mozambique and so many other parts of the world. God sees all oppression. God hears the cry of all suffering. He hears the cry that comes because of the lack of basic compassion. Nobody cares. It's a horrific world we live in. And it's not just one particular skin type or, or background that doesn't feel compassion from its neighbors. It is found amongst all types of people that we may lack compassion. There are those who experience a lack of compassion from their own family members who having children don't actually love those children. 
and show no respect for anything that they do or any encouragement towards them. Likewise, there are parents who receive no compassion from their children. The cry of those who cannot protect the vulnerable, who cannot protect their children from the bullying and the harm they get at school because their parents are Christians, cannot protect them from the environment and the world in which they live. The cry that uniquely touches the heart of God the Father because these are related to him as his children. Even before they know it, God knows them. God knows their sorrows intimately. The children of sorrow are with him. No man has any idea how many people there will be in glory with God before we receive the new creation into which God will dwell with man. You count up the numbers we know in this world. The throne room of heaven will be filled with many who were aborted in this world, yet loved of God. God knows the cry of suffering. He knows the cry of parents who have had to say goodbye to their children far earlier than the time we would expect. He knows that because he welcomes so many of them home with him cry of those who cannot protect the vulnerable, the, the, sorry, the, the martyrs and the victims of oppression dwell near him. Those who have died for their faith, those who have been put aside by their community and died outside their camp, as it were, because they're a Christian, God has received them. We read in the book of Revelation and from under the altar, a description of them being near unto God cries of mothers and fathers, the grief of children bearing their parents, God knows it all. The one who spoke to Moses also felt it all. Listen, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire in the midst of the bush. That is none other than Christ himself. The writer of the Hebrews tells us we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was at all points tempted as we are yet without sin. He knows all about our sorrows. It's not a theoretical thing with God. It's not something that God doesn't agree about to think how he can communicate his care for us. He's been here and done this. He stood with the widow. He stood by the mother and the father. But he was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knows all about it. People say, well, God cannot care if he's done this to me and he's taken this loved one or I'm going through these things. That's a lie. God knows it more intimately than any of us know our own sorrow. He understands the groanings we cannot communicate. He understands why the tears flow when we can't hold them back and don't understand why they come. There is nothing that is a mystery unto God. He is aware of it all and he is aware of far more than you could possibly know that is happening in the world tonight. We get glimpses from time to time. People ring us up and they they tell us about the desperate situation they're in and, and we're amazed that people are so near to us and in these circumstances, but God knew it all. 
And God knows about many other people that never ring and never speak and never cry out. God is aware. And the same is true as it was spoken here. God is still has the same agenda. His agenda has not changed. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. The Egyptians are not the interest now. It's the matter of sin entirety. And bring them up from a land, that land to a good and large land. God has come down to us. Not in a flame of fire in a bush, but in the person of Christ. God didn't leave this matter to be dealt with by angels. But he did it personally. He acted for his people personally. See, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were bound in our sin and loving our sin and had no interest in God, God came and dealt with it. Christ died for us. No greater coming down has there ever been than Christ entering this world. They call it the great stoop. Stoop is a small word to describe what has happened as God made himself man to dwell amongst us in order to experience the cruelest of deaths, to die in our place, not simply on a cross, but under the wrath of his Father. God has come down. God has come to deliver us out of this world. Not merely out of the land of Egypt, but it is a picture also of God coming himself to deliver his people from the cause of a place like Ipswich. Ipswich? A place like Egypt. Sorry to those who live in Ipswich. That'll be Bernard now. He'll be upset. Nevertheless, he can't send his son into the world to deliver us out of this sin, out of all that goes on. It's a personal demonstration again of that. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Come to deliver us. Not merely to show us, oh, you're forgiven now, but to break the shackles that bound us to sin. The prison bars are smashed apart. He has made ruin of all of sin's plans and hold over our lives. He has poured out upon us grace and said, keep taking, keep drinking, keep having. He will give unto us all things, for there is more yet to come. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. My dear friend, we'll have no less reasons to sing God's praise. We'll have more reasons. For we will see more of his greatness and more of his glory and more of his wonder. He's come to deliver us out of this world. He's come to bring us to heaven. It wasn't enough for God to merely bring the children of Israel into a good and large land. There was a better land yet. A land promised to Adam. That when Christ came and would crush the servant's head, he would open up the living way for which men would not merely enter back into Eden and enjoy the fruit of a creation that would be spo- could be spoiled and ruined, but an eternal creation which no man can spoil and no man can ruin, where there will be no need for a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which will corrupt and break us, but we shall be transformed into that which is incorruptible. Remember what Jesus said. 
In my father's house are many mansions. Look, my father has the hugest of houses. Far better than Buckingham Palace. More glorious than anything you can imagine. And within it are many mansions, are many rooms. Well, we might call them apartment. I don't care what you call them. If it was a cardboard box in heaven, it would be an improvement on anything you live in tonight. No matter how many millions of pounds that someone might have paid for it. My father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Since I have called in the builders, they're going to get a place ready for you. I. God has the same agenda. He's come down. He's come to deliver us. He's come to bring us to heaven. And God sends his own ambassador. Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh. We'll go into why Moses thought he shouldn't be up for this job. But the one that was really in mind here never turned away from the job. Jesus came with God's own commission. He said in John 12, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified and I will glorify it again. Jesus knew the commission of the Father. Jesus came with the Father's authority. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up. And no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on myself, for I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up. This command I receive from my Father. Jesus came with God's responsibility that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke of those which you gave me, I have lost none. This is what God is doing. This is what God has has purposed. This is God's plan and God's fruition, and he will do it. There's not a king on any throne, not a government with any power, not an army with all of its weaponry that can resist the will and purpose of God. There is not a sinner so rebellious that God cannot break into safe. God has come to do this. Moses was at that bush. He hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God lest he be consumed. He was afraid because he knew what a sinner he was. God came with this wonderful message. I'm aware of everything. I've come down with an agenda to deliver my people out of that place into a large land and I've got just the ambassador to send and it isn't just Moses. The one who would follow him, would bring people out of their sins. We know who's placed on the throne of Great Britain tonight. But dear friends, there's a greater on the throne. He has the same purpose he has always had. And he's going to accomplish it. If you are resisting that purpose in your life, then I, I beg you, do not do it any longer. It is a foolish thing to resist the hand of God. Because he is aware of everything that brings sorrow into your life. He has come down to deliver you from its root cause, sin itself. He has done everything necessary in the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver you from that sin and bring you to heaven itself. He is the only one by which you can be saved. There's no other. God alone 
outside. Come now, therefore, said God to Moses, and you understand this purpose of mine? Well, Moses was struggling to take it in, as we will see. But when God reveals himself, understand this. He is not expecting anyone to save themselves, but reveals himself as the one who is aware of sin's oppression in and over our lives. He is the one who has the purpose to deliver us from sin's oppression and the one who intends to bring us into a good and large land of his new creation where God will intentionally place us in the midst of his bountiful provisions forever. He is not expecting anyone to save themselves. It was possible he wouldn't need to send his son. He wouldn't need to come down very much because it is not possible for us to save ourselves, nor have we any desire to, God comes down. Further today, when we hear, come now, therefore, let and I will send you, God is not expecting us now to save anyone else. For God alone saves. We are simply called to be his mouthpiece, through whom God declares Jesus Christ whom God sent to save all who believe in him from their sins. We don't save anyone. God does. See, the preacher was a drowning man until God came to rescue him. And I'm still clinging to the rope of his salvation. The only thing I can do is point you to the fact that God is throwing the rope to you as well. But it's God who has the rope. It's not me. It's God who saves. It's God alone who sees your oppression. It's God alone who comes to deliver you. It's God alone who can bring you into a good and large land of his presence forever. It's God alone. Friends. We believe and trust in God alone. And the greatness of his goodness in all that he is. Those tears you cry, you where he's aware of everything about you and knows all about it. And he has got the solution. He has come down to deliver you. He's going to carry it through. It's through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in whom you must trust and believe. Those who trust and believe in him will by no means perish, but have everlasting life. This is what Moses saw at the bush. Not with his eyes, but his whole being was illuminated with what God was going to do. The struggle that Moses would have was accepting the little bit that he had to do. But we'll come to that on the next occasion. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for your word. We have to admit, along with Moses, that if you were to come in such a way to us, we would be fearful, Lord, of why you would come, recognizing that we are broken and we have no hope of any standing before you of ourselves. Yet, Lord, we thank you for what you did reveal to Moses. You're aware of everything that holds us in sin, You're aware of everything that brings us sorrow. 
You're aware, Lord, of all the brokenness of our lives. We thank you, Lord, too, that you are aware of all your people in this world tonight. You're aware of every true Christian living amongst the garbage in Egypt. You're aware of every true Christian joining the secret church in Iran. You're aware of every poverty-stricken Christian living in Malawi or Mozambique or any other country. You're aware of every wanderer who may even change their name from place to place living in a place like Pakistan. You know your children. Lord, may we be conscious that you truly do know us. You know us because you have tuned your heart to hear our cries, to know our sorrows in the person of your Son. He didn't merely die on the cross, he died in our place. He died that we might be set free, and that we might be brought at last to heaven, saved by his precious grace. O oh Lord, may we give you the glory, may we give you the praise, and Lord, may you help us to be your mouthpiece, that as we cling to the rope of our salvation that God has thrown to us, Lord, may we call to others to join us, for God is able to save to the uttermost those who believe in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.